What's up, everybody? It's Ryan Douglas, and this is Blacklight Podcast. I want to quickly run through what this is going to be and my reason for doing it before uh, I jump into the conversation with my first guest, who I'm really excited to have today. Um, so a little over a year ago, I tried to start uh, another initiative for queer people of color called The Q Word, um, and it was my mission or my effort to give back to queer people of color in the young adult publishing industry or in the publishing industry in general, uh, since it's so hard to break the barriers of bias and um, just just um, the, the, the economical barriers uh, stacked against us in this industry. And I wanted to give other people a way to connect. Um, but ultimately, the project was a flop uh, because I was trying really hard to encompass too many identities into one, you know, the LGBTQIAP umbrella is very wide, very expansive. And even when you narrow it down to QPOC, I mean, that's, you're talking black, indigenous, Latino, uh, Latinx, like Asian, there's so many experiences that are so individual, even within those, even within those labels of like POC or by POC. Um, and so Black Light Pod is my effort to sort of scale it back to where, um, we're talking about ourselves and we're talking about the things that we have the authority to talk about because I think we need to get back to the place where marginalization, quote unquote, is not this huge amorphous and all encompassing thing um, because a lot of people really just don't, a lot of people think that intersectionality is erasure and they use that to erase other people's experiences. And right now we really need to get back to focusing on who we are so that we can discuss amongst us our issues in a safe space and move forward to carving out an, an industry where we are all able to effectively support one another. Um, today on the show, I have a good friend of mine. He is a writer, a filmmaker, and educator born and raised in Dallas, Texas, where he dreamt of planets filled with wild aliens and faraway kingdoms ruled by handsome princes. These days, Folin can be found writing about those same dreams, working with DFW's foster youth, and educating the next generation of storytellers. Welcome to the show, Folin. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to share the first episode with you. I think you're so knowledgeable and your projects are so vibrant and imaginative and socially important. Uh, I want to discuss what you do in your work, but first I want to talk about your article, which lit up the streets. It was titled, <laughs> Dear Publishing, Black, Queer, and Trans Writers Deserve Better. So we're looking at 47 claps on Medium, very widely shared and discussed on Twitter. Um, is so educational, a very direct, perfect title that just really expresses your point. And um, I want to just, I want to ask you kind of what, what inspired you to write this piece? Um, well, for a while now, I think as I got more into the publishing industry, observing both as a creator and a consumer of young adult fiction, I noticed there were a lot of recurring themes and issues going on with the representation of Black, queer, and trans people in literature, but also behind the scenes, I noticed a lot of abuses and grievances being taken against Black, and, Black queer, and trans writers. And I felt that a lot of times when we were trying to have these conversations, a lot of voices were just being silenced. 
everyone was speaking over black queer and trans writers and it just felt like everyone was attacking us rather than listening so i was like okay there's a disconnect there's something that's not being heard so let me put this in a way that maybe all of us will understand which is through writing and through reading and i wanted to not only break down what's happening but i also wanted to add some voices to some very awesome uh black queer and trans creators i know of and share what this issues and what this constant attacks and disrespect to our identities in literature is how it's directly impacting all of us because i think a big thing is that when you hear how something's personally hurting someone it builds some sort of empathy so that's why i really wanted to do this article right and you really i mean like your your team that you collected did an amazing job supporting uh your points um they were so awesome to work with but you also wrote another article on Medium called My Oppression is Not Your Entertainment. And that was your first article. And um, can you talk about what that one is about and like why you wrote that one as well? Um, yes, definitely. Um, so as we know, fantasy literature is like one of the number one subgenres of young adult lit. And what I noticed was actually we had like the big dystopian craze of like the 2008s and 2009s all the way to the early 2010s. We had a boom in fantasy literature, but what we, we saw was like this fusion of dystopian takes in secondary worlds and non-Earth settings and all these fantastical, vibrant places. But we were talking about social issues and oppression. And I noticed that the people who are writing the stories of a oppressed characters or people who represent our current status quo. So for instance, you had a lot of white authors replicating the struggles of people of color, LGBTQ people, um, disabled people in their works, and a lot of very poor political takes were happening in these books where you're having these fascist regimes kill and oppress people and then we're getting narratives oh you somehow brought this upon yourself oh the evil guys you're not as evil as they think you are as despite them like murdering your parents uh, seg- uh segregating you into different classes but somehow you're kind of responsible for it and then i was like there's a lot of irresponsibility going on and this genre is still yeah. booming and still putting out these stories so i was like okay enough is enough we need to address what y'all are doing because there are even broader audiences of kids getting access to these works. And I'm like, if a marginalized kid comes and grabs one of these and that is the message you're sending, that somehow yeah. that their otherness uh, and the discrimination and the pain that's brought because of their otherness is somehow their responsibility, that's a no-no straight out the gate. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree that there's a lot of irresponsibility going on and a lot of disconnect with how people connect like representation to like on the ground things and and how it can really transform someone's life uh who needs to see themselves in a heroic light Mm -hmm. this isn't to say that like everything should be escapist or everything should be you know speculative fiction but um to have that avenue through stories to be able to imagine yourself out of this in a way that you can then take that and then imagine yourself out of it in the real world is a really important thing. And if it's always that the oppressors are the ones oppressed in the books, 
we're getting all of these not even like covert messages about how our heroes are our oppressors you know and even in school like we're taught oh the founding fathers uh christopher columbus came and valiantly sailed into the land yeah the country and it's like um he's slaughtered a bunch of people <laughs> he was an asshole, yeah you know um and mm-hmm. i think genocidal maniac absolutely the original genocidal maniac <laughs> um for real but yeah and i think that in in ya people are are well there's there are a lot of people who are really tone deaf to the experience of growing up in a systemically disadvantaged place and and still turning to books uh and finding inspiration and that's how you get this like they're, they're just recurring um well if you don't like ya why are you trying to write it mm-hmm. like, come up and like try to say well this needs to change this is a problem with because they don't realize that we are absorbing these messages and we don't realize that we're absorbing them. We're just trying to enjoy the story. Yeah. Right. We're just like, oh, like we, I want to go on an adventure. We're not thinking like, oh, well, this girl is white, so I cannot read. But then when you look <laughs> back, it's like, wait a minute, why couldn't that girl have been black? Why couldn't that character have? Why is it that my blackness, my sexuality, my marginalization has to be this damning thing that you have to throw out? in order to represent a hero. Exactly. Really after we like analyze that as as grown as like not necessarily adults but like when we're past it is when we and that's why we say okay well yes maybe we did love Harry Potter or what have you the Hunger Games growing up but like now we can see with our new awareness of who we are why that was problematic. Yeah. So I want to talk about now you you introduced a concept to me the other day um concerning the types of the types of black stories that are being told and how they may um how they may support or deconstruct the status quo so can you just explain uh what you explained to me the other day yes so when i was in studying film theory and film analysis there was this concept uh, i was introduced to called hegemonic negotiation And pretty much this is how society and culture and the ideas and themes we engage with on a daily basis and the art we put out either supports the messages of the status quo or challenges them. And something I noticed, because when I learned about this concept, I was really interested in exploring it with like Black storytelling and film and literature. And one thing I noticed a lot of, especially in science fiction lit and young adult is that we have a lot of stories coming out from black writers that are concepts that are challenging you know whiteness straightness uh the gender binary and we have all these concepts that try them but in their execution they end up just supporting those same ideals they end up reinforcing whiteness reinforcing straightness and reinforcing the gender binary to where we're kind of wondering, we're getting all these Black stories and we're claiming that we're trying to change things and change mm-hmm. the messages of how we're, how we matter and how our identities matter. But really, by the end of those stories, I don't feel there are any changes happening at all. In fact, we're just strengthening the argument of those who are pretty much the standard for uh, beauty, the standard for life and society. It, we're not challenging them at all. Right. just kind of telling the same stories with a black face right and I, I think it's it's there's this like idea that if it's present then that's enough you know well oh this you like you see them like promoting these books and it's like 
oh, this book has a POC main character. And mm-hmm. then like, no, like what else? Like what is what does it do with that element? And that is what that is why I stopped talking about diversity and got into talking about inclusion because inclusion demands more of a more of an exploration of the diverse element, you know, the quote unquote diverse element. And you have yeah. to kind of like when you're dealing with inclusion, you have to give that character, like your diverse character voice in the narrative. You have to give them a purpose in the narrative and you have to actually engage in practical and deeper ways with what you are doing when you're saying, okay, I'm approaching race or I'm approaching gender, I'm approaching class. How are you approaching these things? How are you implementing them? What is the takeaway from this book, especially for teen teen readers? So let's let's talk about um the the catalyst for the article and (laughs) for my um rants on twitter (laughs) (laughs) um so there was a there was a book that came out that um i mean i i guess it's it's ostensibly based on finn poe um like finn poe romance it's not like yeah Here's a Finpo fan fiction. Like it's marketed as its own story and it's its own story. But um, the cover, like you look at the cover and like instantly it brings to mind Finpo. And like, do I want a Finpo romance? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, of course. Who doesn't want a Finpo romance? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants a Finpo romance. But you can look at the situation and, and, and see that a white person is writing characters that are black and Latino. I know that you you write cosmic stories, you write science fiction, yes. and um, I want to hear from you like how you would explore the angle of Finn Poe if you had the chance to write that story, because I know you've thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it's no secret that I'm a Star Wars fan. I've been since I was a very young child. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> everybody, Bo Dameron on Twitter. Yes. Um, so with Finn Poe, one, their situation is very unique because their origin stories kind of mirror that of marginalized identities. Um, you know, Finn is a soldier who was, as a child, stolen from his home and forced to become this murderous, uh, like, mindless soldier for the Galactic Empire. And Poe is a rebel pilot whose parents were rebels grew up in this culture of resistance and who through beloved characters, General Leia and Luke, you know, became such a big force and a like hotshot pilot. So we're already looking at stories about looking at the story of these are both characters who sit on the outside of society who are both fighting to be heard um, and to be free. We also have to talk about the fact that when you look at Star Wars and you look at the context of Finpo, they're two characters of color fighting against a very white regime. They already mm-hmm. look different. Their origin stories are different. And who they're fighting against is the antithesis of who they are. So mm-hmm. when looking at Finpo, I think personally something I would do is that there's always this, been this message in Star Wars of it can be anyone. That's the message of the Jedi, um, of the Sith. It can, you know, anyone can become these powerful beings who guide and shape the galaxy themselves. But Mm -hmm. you have 
they're going against this force, which is the empire, that is very much you have to fit into their beliefs, their dynamics, and what they think society should be, or you should just straight up die, which very much matches what a lot of people of color, especially queer people of color, are going through to today. If we don't match mm-hmm. the white standard and the straight standard, they pretty much want us dead and gone. Um, but yeah, yeah, they would they would infinity snap us to dust if they could. Um, but um, I think, yeah, I think one of the things I would bring is that despite this being Star Wars, we also have to look at the fact that literature, that Star Wars really doesn't address race. It addresses gender, it addresses some elements of sexuality, um, but it really, and this is a bigger thing I think that's been left out of science fiction as a whole is that we write these giant galaxies. And apparently when it comes to people of color, any culture or cultural identity we have, poof is gone in order to contribute to this kumbaya United Nations feeling, you know, setting. Right. So one I think I would bring back like the cultures of both these people, because you know, the actor who plays Poe is Guatemalan. There are things you can bring from a Latino heritage into that story. Mm-hmm. There's things from Penn, Finn you can bring in, whether it's a Black American or any uh, uh, any writer of color bringing it in. You mm-hmm. know, there are certain cultural identities we can bring back to it that I think has become very lost in science fiction. So I think those are my key things is, you know, talking about them fighting as the other for their right to exist and not their right to just to exist, but to thrive and live. And then also that their culture and identities matter just as everyone else's in these stories. I think that's why I would bring pretty much a thin pone apple. Absolutely. And that would make it so much more dynamic than if those things mm-hmm. weren't there. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I would literally, I would only ever want to read um, or be super excited about a story if it brought those elements into the narrative because they're so, imp- they're just like so important. It always, you know, race mm-hmm. and identity always affects especially in um, an interracial love story, which I think that in publishing, the mo- the thing you see most often is like uh, white and black interracial stories. Yep. But um, there's also the aspect that a black and Latino man are going to have, you know, cu- culture clashes and, and places where their cultures line up. And that's also its mm-hmm. own, uh, a whole thing that you really do have to meditate on, you know, when you're, dealing with characters of color. I want to hear about now what, like your original projects, what you're working on, what you write, what you want to do, you know, just talk about your work a little bit. Which was perfect that you brought up Finn Poe, because Finn Poe was like one of the cornerstone inspirations for this work. Um, So I'm working on a young adult science fiction novel called Black Revival, which is set in the 22nd century, and it follows this racially stratified empire located in our solar system founded by humanity called the sovereignty basically imagining if our future was uh continually ruled by uh rich white uh, rich white companies and ceos and high classes um and basically that if you are not rich or if you are a person of color and do not look like the white uh standard you were left on Earth to deal with whatever was left in of the ruined planet after global warming and the such, while all of those who had money and who looked like, who looked very white, very happy, and very much fit the norm, colonized these metropolises on Mars mm-hmm. and Titan 
and the moons of Saturn and pretty much left the rest of us to suffer. The novel follows um, a young teen, 17-year-old Avon Richards, who has dreamt his entire life of traversing the stars, exploring the galaxy. Um, but because he was black and poor, admit he spent most of his life confined to Earth, um, which is the most poorest world on the sovereignty. And he grew up on the streets um, as an orphan um, after the death of his activist parents. And the only thing he had closest to the stars was street racing and a terrible street racing incident that ended with the death of someone he loved. Uh, also brought punishment from his overlords from the sovereignty who gave him two choices. Um, either you can go sit in jail for a couple of decades just because we don't like you and you were trying to enjoy your life, or you can go to war for us and become a soldier. Mm -hmm. So because he's young and he's naive, he chooses the latter and he becomes a, so a very brutal soldier in what is known as the Iron Armada, which is like very largely funded military um, force that goes to war across the galaxy committing genocide just because humanity is bored and likes playing conqueror still in the 22nd century and they're currently are coming on six years of war with an afrofuturist inspired empire known as the Asun, inspired by the afrofuturism movement very lush world to practice magic and mythology and folklore and scholarship. And Alvin is to, to wage war with them, unknown that he is not fighting a war of any uh, moral good, but rather he is fighting to just fund the pockets of the humanity's richest and powerful. But mm -hmm. when he finally gets to the war front in an act of bravery, rather than trying to take alien lives that are not responsible for what, is, have, what has been brought upon them. He tries to save his comrades during battle. Um, and in that selfless act, he is killed. But the gods of this very, this very beautiful alien society sees his acts of selflessness as hope for humanity, who has pretty much just waged war on them for so long. So they're like, we see that one of these people has a moral heart that they have the potential to do better than the warmongers we're seeing. So the goddess of these people decides to bring Alvin back to life, gifts, her, gifts him with the power of their people, so he has control over the elements, over spiritual natures, over inhuman strength, and energies from other worlds and realms. And she sends him on a quest to learn about her society and to learn that not only can he stop the genocide his people is committing, but he can also liberate the people who are suffering at the hands of humanity's rich and powerful. But they do not want him to succeed, and so they send their most lethal warriors and assassins to kill him. And so he's pretty much pulled into a race against time where he has to learn to harness his newfound powers before humanity can use him as a weapon to end the war and to kill these otherworldly aliens once and for all. So he's learning pretty much to either be a weapon of war or a weapon of peace. So that is my that current is, work right now. That is fucking amazing. <laughs> um, Thank you. I just so imaginative, but it's just so grounded in realities. And I think that we really need that in science fiction. Um, I just think that is so needed. And I loved hearing you talk about it. Thank you so I much. I hearing you talk about it. 
whenever you talk about it. <laughs> I appreciate um, it. I'm curious to know how you got into writing. Uh, where did you, you know, when, well, when both when did you know that you wanted to be a writer and when did you know that you wanted to write work like this? Um, that's a good question. So I started writing as young as like seven or eight when Avatar ended and I started writing these weird self-insert fan fictions of me writing myself with the gang, um, doing numerous adventures across all the four nations, um, just because I had such a desire to like be in that story. And that was like the first time I was like, oh, this is what storytelling is. Cause I'm like writing a narrative and coming up with more characters and settings and cre- yeah. crafting a story. But um, I don't think really I took writing seriously until I got into high school um, and started getting interested in film. And when I became interested in film, my mom told me I should research someone called Shonda Rhimes who we now know as like the queen of Hollywood and one of the Absolutely. biggest um, trailblazers for black representation in film and television. Um, at that time, I did not really know of any black writers in film until I discovered her. And when I saw that, hey, a black woman is out here creating some of the best works in television, it clicked with the idea of representation that I, I did not know what I could do until I saw it. And so when I saw her, I was like, oh, I can take writing seriously. I can make a career out of this. And so that's when the uh, Mm -hmm. writing book really started to take hold. And I was writing a lot of scripts and novels. Um, But unfortunately at that time, despite having the inspiration and the inclusion trailblazer that is Shonda, I did not start telling stories of people of color, specifically queer people of color, until about a few years ago. And mm-hmm. it was really, I think, after the 2016 election, me entering college and discovering entirely entire new forms of anti-Blackness within um, higher education yeah. um, and anti-queerness as well, yeah. um, that I really, I think I was became so frustrated with what was considered normal, the constant backlash against my identity and my culture, that I was like, okay, I have Mm. something to say, but I want to make sure I'm saying something wise and something that rings for people. And actually, Mm -hmm. what clicked was, it was after watching Star Wars The Last Jedi and seeing the intense backlash against against John Boyega and against Kelly Marie Tran that I just got so fed up that as a film major, as a writer, and just as a Black gay person, I was like, okay, enough is enough. I was like, I'm going to write something that is going to shut you people down, that I don't need Star Wars to matter and to be able to see myself in the things I love. Two weeks later, the opening chapters of Black Revival was born. And so that really was like the big click for me that I was like, okay, time to take it serious you can do this you can be the hero yeah you know i can be the hero of my own story i can uh be lead a giant space epic with magic mayhem and big social issues and not need you to tell me i can't do it because i'm going to show you i can right yeah so that was really my journey i guess that is is an epic origin story and i think that um many of us who are 
writing uh, black speculative heroes can relate to exactly what you're saying about just kind of at some point, you know, you're trying to fit this thing and fit that thing. And then you just say enough is enough. This is my thing. And I think that's such a huge step for a writer to come to. And how old are you? I am 20. 20 years old, everybody, (laughs) if you can believe it, a college graduate. Um, that's pretty impressive. Thank you. All right. So we're going to wrap up here, but before you go, I want to know what you're listening to. Um, it can be a bop or it can be a (laughs) song that you lay on the bed and disassociate to, um, anything that you want to put us onto music wise that we should be playing, (laughs) lay it on us. Okay. So I actually have two. So I have like my morning bop right now which is Big Racks by Brie Runway. She's a um, black what? British. I love Brie Runway. Yes. Yo. I love waking up to that song. Yeah. You know, and Big Bucks is really my, Big Racks is really my song right now. You know, I'm chasing that back, trying to, you know, get my career started and um, get it popping yeah. and, you know, make this my yeah. year. So it's like perfect inspiration. I'm going to go listen to that as soon as we hang up. Period, for real. Um, and my second rec, because I write a lot of my um, song, my books to music, is um, Sing to the Moon by um, Laura Mavula. And she's also a Black British singer. And it's a it's almost like a lullaby song, but it's very jazzy. And it's a really beautiful melody, um, almost like a person singing to their child um, about knowing you have a place among this big universe and that you matter and that, uh, you know, the universe is going to shake when you figure out that you are loved. And that's going to change everything. And that song was a big uh, inspiration piece for Black Revival. So, yeah. That's on some uh, brown skin girl tees. (laughs) <laughs> for real though for real <laughs> we must thank queen b for her impact <laughs> we we must thank queen b for a lot honestly birthing the universe to be honest mm-hmm. can you say legendaric <laughs> can you say magnetic <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh thank you so so much for coming on today thank you for having me i had so much fun um absolutely absolutely anytime um I, I think you're so impressive. I, I am really looking forward to seeing you blow up in this industry and seeing how you change it. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Thank you everybody for listening to the first episode of Blacklight Pod. If you want to follow Folen Allen, uh, he is Theo Wrights uh, on Twitter at Theo Wrights on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to follow me, I'm at Ryan Douglas writer at Ryan Douglas W on Twitter and at Ryan Douglas writer on Instagram uh, to keep up with the podcast. It's at Blacklight pod on Twitter and Instagram. And I will be back at some point in the future with a new guest to discuss more black LGBTQIAP representation concerns. Okay. Peace out.